This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Do you know who this is? Shocking security footage of a robbery in progress. Police releasing the video, hoping someone can help identify the suspect. Good evening and thanks for joining us tonight. It went down in a pot shop on Victoria Drive last November. And when it was over, two employees were assaulted. Jeff Hastings has more on what we're learning about the suspect. He enters the dispensary like any other customer, even wiping his feet on the mat by the door. But moments later, the facade is gone. He jumps the counter, assaults the clerk, and lunges for marijuana on the shelf, and pushes the clerk again. She flees. He's right behind, smashing into a returning employee on his way out. The business has moved since the robbery in November, but you can still see evidence of the security measures that were in place. The doorbell, the thief would have had to ring to get staff attention, and the mount where the camera was before. They're behind a counter. They've taken steps to secure themselves. This is a secure door. This person came to the door. He wasn't masked. Um, There was nothing that apparently led them to believe that he was going to be of danger. Physical security measures, and as surveillance video goes, the evidence from the shop, weeds, glass, and gifts, is very good. He's described as 19 to 25 years old, 5 foot 10 to 5 foot 11. He's got an athletic build with shaved hair. And he's got brown eyes. Something that the witnesses have described that stood out for them are his eyebrows. They said they're really pronounced. They stand out. And to investigators, this robbery stands out. There isn't an identified pattern here. Looking at past crimes and other types of businesses in Vancouver and around the province hasn't yielded any leads. Nothing to suggest connection to a broader problem. We have no reason to believe that anybody's running around and targeting any particular retailers at this point. This is an unfortunate incident and we're working to solve it. We spoke to the owner late this afternoon. The man bowled over as the suspect fled. He says his wife, the woman behind the counter, suffered a concussion. He received seven stitches. He says this was actually the fourth time the suspect had been in the store and a problem. Jeff Hastings, Global News. An employee of the University of the Fraser Valley has allegedly been busted in the latest Creep Catchers sting. Catherine Urquhart is in our newsroom with the details on this. And Catherine, the university is confirming that this employee is now off work pending an investigation. That's right. The university has just confirmed that one of its professors is off the job, at least temporarily, pending an investigation. This after Creep Catchers videotaped the person allegedly trying to meet up with a 13-year-old boy for sex. Here's a look at some of that video. Yeah. How old's the boy you came to meet? Yeah. How old's the boy you came to meet? What? How old is the boy you came to meet? We're told the incident happened last night at a McDonald's in Chilliwack. We reached out to both the university and the RCMP for more information. Yeah, the University of the Fraser Valley is aware that allegations have been made against one of its employees. We take these allegations seriously and we are investigating. The Chilliwack RCMP detachment is also aware and they have opened a file. We are in the initial stages of our investigation. 
Um, we haven't spoken with any of the parties involved yet. I would just like to state that uh, the RCMP do not condone or recommend people take the law into their own hands. There is a risk that investigations can be jeopardized and evidence be lost when this occurs. Now, since the professor hasn't been charged, we are not revealing his identity. Much more on this developing story tonight at 11. Chris, Sophie? All right. Thanks for that, Catherine. The special prosecutor has now been appointed in a case involving sex assault charges against a former B.C. mayor. Luke Strimbold is charged with 24 sex-related crimes involving minors. Court documents indicate all of his alleged victims were male and three were under the age of 16 at the time. More than a dozen of the charges date back to when Strimbold was mayor of Burns Lake. Strimbold was working as the membership chair of the B.C. Liberals until the allegations were made public last Friday. None of the allegations have been proven in court. Police do believe there are more victims and are appealing for them to come forward. A Port Moody man has been sentenced to 18 years in prison for a horrific domestic attack. The man, who cannot be named due to a publication ban, set fire to his home in 2016, killing his wife and sending their children running for their lives. Grace Key reports. It was a shocking case of domestic violence. In July 2016, a Port Moody man set fire to his home, killing his wife and sending his children fleeing for their lives. He's now been sentenced to 18 years behind bars after pleading guilty to manslaughter and arson causing bodily harm. Neighbours that day described the horrifying scene. The rest of the kids got out. They Then they got the, uh, the mother out and she was in the, the blanket wrapped up and they took her over there. The man's identity is not being released because of a publication ban protecting the children. On the day of the fire, the couple got into an argument and the husband threw a pressure cooker at his wife. As the children called 911, the father poured gasoline throughout the house, setting it on fire. Some of the children jumped out a window onto a trampoline. One boy suffered second-degree burns. The mother died hours later in hospital. Police had been called to the house before, and the husband once tried to set the Christmas tree on fire. The husband once owned a business in Port Moody, a neighboring owner says he's since visited with the children. They're still struggling with the, you know, what happened, but they are, they're doing okay. They got some support from the government and they, they get by, seem like, you know, uh, better than we are expecting it, but we still, you know, have to put a hand together to, to try to help them. The family home is still standing. Neighbors say it was sold about a year ago. With the mother dead and the father behind bars, a GoFundMe page was set up. The children drew a thank you card to all those who donated. Grace Key, Global News. Sentencing today for a man found guilty of manslaughter in connection with two murders in Anaheim Lake in 2014. Andrew Youngblotz was found guilty in December. Today, he was handed two 10-year sentences for the deaths of 23-year-old Matthew Henniger and 22-year-old Calvin Andy. Family and friends of the victims who were in court today say they've lost faith in the justice system. Well, it just amazes me how two lives taken so brutally on Boxing Day can wind up with a judgment of 10 years concurrent. Um, Apparently they say that he can be out within two to four years. And it's like very hurtful because many lives were damaged. 
Six people were originally charged with the killings. Charges were dropped against two of them, while two others were acquitted of second-degree murder. Brian Everett O'Reilly is still facing trial for first-degree murder. BC's watchdog for children and youth is taking aim at the provincial government for failing to improve the child welfare system. Bernard Richard goes so far as to call the current approach racist and paternalistic. His comments come after a recent case where social workers failed to allow an Indigenous mother adequate time to feed and bond with her newborn. It's not a one-off case. It's not an outlier that uh, there are issues of systemic racism uh, in, in, the, in the way child welfare services are provided. But the immediate concern that I have is for the best interest of the child. And, and unfortunately, the, the ministry has failed miserably in that regard up to now. Richard says the NDP's promises of doing a better job of early intervention are good. However, the reality on the ground hasn't changed much yet. More than 98% of homeowners in Vancouver made their empty homes tax declarations. And while that sounds good, when you crunch the numbers, there are thousands of empty or underutilized homes out there. Ted Chernecki joins us with more on this. Which areas are the worst, Ted? Yeah, Sylvia, remember this mansion allegedly torched a few months ago and currently the subject of an ongoing arson investigation? Well, it, of course, is empty, as are a lot of properties, especially here in Shaughnessy and in the downtown core. High-end properties are still very much part of the market in Vancouver's upscale Shaughnessy neighborhood. Vacant lots like these are not subject to the new empty home tax as long as construction is imminent. But elsewhere in Shaughnessy, new data suggests about 8% of all homes are either empty or underutilized. It could be homes that are under the exemption categories of being renovated, so for part of the year it was, was not uh, occupied. Um, there's uh, also you know, the whole area of the second homeowner uh, where they only come in and only occupy for a portion of the year. The city's loneliest neighborhoods are Shaughnessy and the downtown core, where your chances of having an empty home next door are better than anywhere else. Citywide, about 8,500 empty homes. A lot, but not as many as previously predicted. Before we talked about 25,000 empty or underutilized homes, uh, I think the declarations are about 8,500, so significantly less. The 25,000 uh, number was based on a census information from 2016, so that was, you know, one day in time. Uh, we had also information based on a, a study by on hydro consumption that was done by our planning department, and that came in closer to 10,000. So the 8,000 is probably closer to that number. Of the 8,500 empty or underutilized homes, about 60% are condos, 33% single-family. And the 8500 also includes those properties claiming they are exempt from the tax because the property is in the throes of redevelopment or the owner is incapable of living there for health reasons. The city is currently auditing the exemption claims to see if they qualify. All right, Ted, well, 2,000, actually more than 2,000 people fared to declare at all. So what happens to them? Well, those homes are included in that 8,500 number because they didn't respond. They're assumed to be empty or underutilized and therefore subject to the new tax. Chris, Sophie? Ted Chernecki reporting for us. Ted, thank you. And there are signs the province may be altering its position on its newly unveiled speculation tax that would impact British Columbians who own vacation properties in this province. 
Keith Baldry joins us from Victoria now with more on this. Keith, what's prompting the talk of a tweak here? Yeah, it's all sorts of anecdotal evidence coming in, Chris, particularly to the media about people being concerned that uh, they've got, uh, you know, uh, family vacation homes they've had for generations suddenly may have to pay a substantial tax as a result of the speculation tax. Could be uh, tens of thousands of dollars to some folks. So Carol James, again, the finance minister, we caught up with her in the hallway today, suggesting that uh, the people who own vacation homes are not speculators, are not necessarily the ones that she wants to go after in terms of driving up the cost of housing in in, uh, in our red-hot housing market. She's not quite there yet, but she's dropping broad hints that the rules will be tweaked. And we caught up with a- a- Andrew Wilkinson, the Liberal leader. Needless to say, he's not in- impressed with what he calls policy on the fly. That the considerations that we're looking at are the kinds of questions that people have been asking. We're aiming to make sure that we get speculators out of the market. We don't want people treating our housing as a stock market. They can't make up tax policy by the, on the fly. This has got to be done properly, it's got to be done in a thoughtful and considered way, and not in response to media pressure when you folks bring to the attention of the government some cases that make no sense whatsoever. Well, while the province seems open to change, what about the other new tax that's causing a lot of controversy, the employer health tax? A lot of outcry from the business community. Any changes there? No. In fact, Carol James, in that same scrum I asked her, she said, no, the tax has been released. The details are there. But the Liberals continue to present evidence that uh, some businesses and some public sector entities are going to get hard hit. So here's a look at some municipal municipality effect. Vancouver will see its uh, tax bill go from $2.5 million under the old MSP uh, program to $13.1 million, an increase of more than 400%. Richmond, again, sees a 233% increase uh, from 750 to $2.5 million. And North Van sees an increase as well. So the public sector in particular is going to hit, be hit hard by this new payroll health tax. Chris? Sounds like it. Okay, thanks, Keith. A warning from police about a romance fraudster and an appeal for more victims to come forward. Coquitlamar CMP are releasing this photo of 37-year-old Reza Moinian of Maple Ridge. He's accused of of dating his victims for months in order to develop a deep romantic bond and then convincing them to sign up for credit cards and lines of credit, which are promptly drained. We're taking the unusual step of releasing a photograph of Mr. Moenian because we believe there's a strong possibility there are other victims out there who haven't spoken to police, and those victims might be spread around Metro Vancouver. RCMP are commending victims for coming forward. Moenian is charged with two counts of fraud over $5,000, one count of theft over $5,000, and one count of causing someone to use a forged document. His next court appearance is March 12th. A Duncan couple is facing charges in a disturbing case of animal cruelty. When the SPCA arrived at the property, they found a dog on a tether that was only a few inches long, standing in a pile of mud and feces. Not only was the dog severely emaciated, but its collar was deeply embedded in its neck, causing a massive infection. Despite extensive emergency treatment, the dog did succumb to its injuries a couple of days later. Anderson Joe and Melissa Tushley of Duncan are now charged. His head was uh, about three times the size of what it should have been because it was so swollen with infection. Uh, Must have been a relatively young dog, presumably. That collar went on when the dog was a puppy and was never taken off. This dog's life could have been saved. Uh, When in doubt, give us a call. 
Right now, though, a disturbing story out of Kelowna tonight where four students have been caught on video attacking a man. But the local school board and the father of one of those teens says the video doesn't tell the whole story. Kelly Hayes has more on what led up to the attack. Yahoo! It's only a 10-second video, but it certainly packs a punch. It was shot last Monday outside a convenience store in Kelowna, where four youths appeared to be attacking an adult. Slowed down, the video shows the four young males punching the adult before he manages to break free, but only for a moment. He's then thrown onto the ground, and that's where the video stops. The four males seen attacking the adult are from Kelowna Secondary School. Well, it's disturbing, but it's only one side of the story. Mike Rowe has also seen the video, and so he should because his son is in it. Rowe says his son was accused of stealing some candy at the store and got into a verbal argument with the store owner before a customer, the man seen in the video, stepped in. This gentleman happened to be a customer and approached my son and said, I don't like the way you're talking to these people. You can't talk to people this way. Unfortunately, my son got enraged by these comments and ended up in a war awards with this gentleman. Rose says that war awards carried on outside the store, that the man got in his car, was about to leave when he suddenly stopped, got out of his car and attacked Rose's son. Charged at my son, started punching him in the face, cracked his head off the wall. At that point, that's when the other kids got involved and grabbed the gentleman off my son. Rose says the whole thing could have been avoided had his son not said anything. I just wish it never happened. And I told my son this all happened because of your mouth. Rose says his son wasn't hurt and that he's been suspended from school. Police say charges are possible against the use and or the adult involved in the altercation. Kelly Hayes, Global News, Kelowna. The B.C. coroner has found the pilot of a cargo plane that crashed in the North Shore Mountains in 2015 was heavily under the influence of alcohol. Pilot Robert Brandt and co-pilot Kevin Wang were killed when the Carson Air flight crashed shortly after takeoff. The coroner says Brandt's blood alcohol level was at least 0.24%. Because the plane had no cockpit voice recorder or flight data recorder, the Transportation Safety Board can't determine exactly what caused the crash, but says it could be a problem with anti-icing, pilot incapacitation, or an intentional act. Tonight of the toll BC's overdose crisis is taking on the people on the front lines. As John Wild reports, first responder burnout is becoming such a problem the city of Abbotsford has to hire half a dozen more firefighters just to keep up. The calls to Abbotsford fire are constant. But oftentimes what's causing burnout amongst firefighters has nothing to do with a blaze. Now this is a crisis. Uh, what we've been doing isn't working. Nearly 10% of the city's fire service is currently on leave. Many suffering from PTSD after being on the front lines of the opioid crisis. We're hiring people who are good, strong individuals when they start their careers. And when they're finished, we have to make sure we haven't broken them. So Abbotsford is hiring six more firefighters at an annual cost of $587,000. If this is a crisis, and it is, and we have said it is, we have to do more. Now there's no doubt that the overdose calls are dramatically increasing the workload for Abbotsford firefighters who responded to more than 9,000 incidents last year alone. Now to put that into perspective, that's more than 50% higher than the average number of incidents they responded to over the last five years. It's the number of calls, the opportunity to decompress after a call as well. 
and from the street entrenched to suburban families. There's no discrimination when it comes to drug overdoses. Every call taking an emotional toll on first responders. So it is um, walking into a home for, where a father, a brother, a sister is actually in the crisis. Abbotsford is footing the bill because their firefighters couldn't wait any longer. Mayor Braun hopes upper levels of government will put some additional funding on the table. We need some of that to come back to our local governments because this is where stuff happens. Either way, firefighting reinforcements will be in place this June to keep the burnout from spreading out of control. John Hua, Global News. Metro Vancouver drivers feeling the pain at the pumps, and the experts say it's probably going to get worse. Many lower mainland stations are now selling gas for more than $1.50 a litre. That's the highest price right now in North America. This time, the industry is blaming the sinking loony and closed refineries. Drivers saying no matter what the reason, the prices are outrageous. I don't even know how I'm going to get to work now. It's just kind of price of living in this city. No doubt people will stop driving or at least cut back the amount of driving. I think this is going to do significant damage to the local economy uh, and certainly make uh, Vancouver a less attractive place in which to do business. And prices are only going up, possibly hitting $1.54 this weekend and as high as a buck sixty in the summer. <laughs> Amazing video of volunteers in Syria rescuing a young boy and girl from separate bombed-out buildings in a besieged suburb of Damascus. The UN says attacks in this city killed more than 100 people on Monday. Human rights groups say government forces are ignoring the UN ceasefire. Well, the White House is hinting tonight that Canada and Mexico could be exempt from Donald Trump's tariffs on steel and aluminum expected to be announced tomorrow. That follows yet another high-profile exodus from the embattled Trump administration. It's not very good at it. Tonight, after U.S. and global markets had a rocky ride, jitters mounting over Chief Economic Advisor Gary Cohn's resignation. Well, I'm concerned that uh, who the president will turn to for advice. One of the problems here is the White House is getting hollowed out. The White House trying to downplay the volatility. Isn't the message from the markets, though, that they're concerned about Gary Cohn's departure? I think if you look at the overall message of the markets, it's that we're doing much better under President Trump than we were doing before he took office. Cohn is the latest member of the president's inner circle to head for the door. In all, 43 percent of top-level positions have left the Trump White House, a higher turnover than Trump's four most recent predecessors each had in their first two years. Today, Sarah Sanders denying this White House is in chaos. If it was, then I don't think we would be able to accomplish everything that we've done. But even the president acknowledged this week. I like conflict. Cohn's departure was prompted by his opposition to the president's threat of new tariffs on steel and aluminum. Many Republicans and foreign allies have warned that could spark a trade war. Now, under pressure, the White House is signaling some countries, including Mexico and Canada, could be exempt. We're not trying to blow up the world. Former White House Chief of Staff Leon Panetta. When there is chaos and disruption in Washington, it is ultimately going to affect the way you make your living wherever you're living in this country. And that's what scares the hell out of people. Well, Toronto police under fire again for their investigation of an alleged serial killer among the city's gay community. 
Police have launched an internal investigation into what they call concerning information about alleged serial killer Bruce MacArthur. It's reported the probe was triggered because it was discovered that police had interviewed MacArthur years ago for an unrelated incident. MacArthur is now facing six counts of first-degree murder, and on Monday, police announced the discovery of a seventh set of remains. British investigators are confirming tonight that a former Russian spy and his daughter were the victims of attempted murder involving some kind of nerve agent. Scotland Yard says the poison was so powerful, even one of the first responders is still in hospital. Scotland Yard making this stunning announcement this afternoon. Former Russian spy Sergei Skripal, seen here in a store just weeks ago, was deliberately targeted, poisoned, along with his daughter Yulia. This is being treated as a major incident involving attempted murder by administration of a nerve agent. That nerve agent so powerful, investigators are still wearing hazmat suits. A police officer, first at the scene, hospitalised in serious condition, and Skripal and his daughter, critically ill. These images are said to show them Sunday, just before the attack. The video not independently confirmed by NBC News. That surveillance video was recorded here. The couple made it across this bridge to a park bench before collapsing. Police not revealing the nerve agent used and have not named any suspects. The fact that a nerve agent was used strengthens the likelihood that this was a state sponsor of some sort and Russia is the chief suspect, of course. Skripal was jailed by Russia for secretly assisting British intelligence, then sent to the UK after a spy swap. His case echoing the deadly radioactive poisoning in the UK of another former Russian spy, Alexander Litvinenko. Tonight, the Kremlin again denying any involvement. Keir Simmons, NBC News, London. Facebook is on the receiving end of a not-so-friendly message from BlackBerry. The Canadian company is suing the social media giant, claiming Facebook and its popular apps Instagram and WhatsApp use a messaging technology that falls under a BlackBerry patent. Facebook is vowing to fight the allegations. <laughs> hmm, Captain Handlebar posted that audio on Twitter, but he's not the only one freaked out by Amazon's new virtual assistant, Alexa. Social media is filled with accounts of Alexa randomly laughing at people for no reason. Amazon says it's a glitch where Alexa can mistake certain comments for the command Alexa laugh, and it's disabling that command. In Health Matters tonight, the remarkable case of a 57-year-old cancer patient has sparked some promising new research. As Aaron MacArthur reports, scientists are expanding their study of a personalized treatment that's effectively beaten back one of the most deadly forms of the disease. Eddie, leave. By all rights, Susan Stewart should be dead. Sixteen months ago, when she was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, she knew the long-term prognosis was grim. I remember saying to the doctor actually that day, you know, when she said it was pancreatic cancer, I said, and that's not a good one to get, is it? Fewer than 10% of pancreatic cancer patients survive. Susan has not only beaten the odds, but has had an excellent quality of life hiking and snowshoeing, even skiing with her three kids. Doctors have no idea why she has responded so well to her immune therapy. And now the BC Cancer Agency has sequenced her tumor's genome, looking for clues. 
we're looking using the the data that we have in terms of uh, the DNA and RNA changes in her tumor to try to understand why she's done so well. And if we could figure that out, then we can apply this treatment to, to, to more people. The Terry Fox Research Institute is promising $5 million over the next five years for a study called EPIC. 400 people will have their tumors sequenced across the country. By breaking down the tumors to the genetic level, researchers are hopeful that the patients will be able to access targeted medication that actually works. The point of this project and our goal is to find ways to really individualize our treatment strategies. While Susan is continuing chemotherapy, she has big plans for the upcoming year. A daughter graduating high school in June, and she intends to be on the start line for the sun run next month. I feel lucky. <laughs> I feel lucky. I feel very fortunate. Pancreatic cancer is the fourth most deadly cancer in Canada, but receives significantly less in terms of funding for research. This study changes the landscape and gives patients a chance to live. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Health Canada is issuing a warning tonight after a cache of illegal injectable drugs was seized from a Vancouver skincare business. The affected products include injectable cosmetic surgery drugs and medical devices like dermal fillers. They were seized from Rebo Skin on Burrard Street and have not been approved by Health Canada, which says the products pose serious health risks ranging from infection to possible death. Consumers are advised not to use them, and anyone who may have used any of the products is urged to see a healthcare professional. A snowboarder's helmet camera captures the first seconds of a nightmare. How he survived the avalanche he caught on video right after the forecast. Now let's bring in Christy right now for a look at what's coming. Sounds like it's going to be warming up over the next few days. Yes, lots to look forward to, that's for sure. Especially uh, timing-wise, it's going to hit the weekend, which is fantastic. Uh, it is International Women's Day tomorrow, so I thought I'd give you your International Women's Day forecast. Periods of rain expected and 9 degrees, which is straight average for this time of year. And we actually have nothing to complain about. They're dealing with the second nor'easter of the week in through these eastern sections. 38 million people are under watches and warnings and uh, the snowfall rates have been up to 7 centimeters per hour and uh, it is going to push up into uh, Canada as well uh, with another 20 centimeters possible in some areas just in the next 24 hours. So we have snowfall expected here, but it's not going to be nearly as bad. We'll see a range from 2 to four centimeters. One of the hardest hit areas may be the West Kootenai, Nelson, Castlegar. You may see up to uh, eight centimeters. So this system is going to push in tonight and we'll see it through the day tomorrow and through the overnight periods tomorrow. Friday is when it's going to ease off just in time for the weekend. And yes, we've got that sunshine in store for us. Uh, so the next 24 hours for the south coast, we're not talking about rain. It's basically east of hope. Or we're not talking about snow, I mean. It's basically east of hope. We are talking about rain for the south coast. We'll see a range from 10 millimeters to possibly 25 along the north shore. So a typical rainstorm for our area this time of year. Now, there's your forecast for coastal regions, mild conditions, areas further inland is where we'll see the snowfall. And and during the uh, uh, afternoon hours across the south, you'll see that snowfall change over to rain, and a lot of it should wash away, although the snowpacks are incredible still this, for this time of year. Nine degrees with periods of rain and 
Friday is our transition day. Lots to look forward to as we head towards our weekend. Sunshine and warmth with things really heating up. 10s, 11s, and potentially 15 on Monday. And don't forget, we change our clocks forward on Sunday. That means sunset is closer to 7 o'clock next week. Happy birthday to Kay McManus, uh, celebrating 100 years. And we've got two weather windows for you tonight because there's quite a large herring fishery going on along the east coast of Vancouver Island right now. That means large schools of herring. And it is a heyday for, of course, the seagulls there and the fishermen. Uh, it's all along from uh, Qualicum Beach all the way down through Parksville. So I thought I would show you the two photos that came in today. There you go, guys. A lot of boats trying to bring it all in. All right. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Christy. Thanks, Christy. A snowboarder got his own near-death experience on his helmet camera. Thomas Cray was skiing the French Alps when the camera captured the heart-stopping start of an avalanche. And it kept running as the slide swept him down the mountainside. Luckily, Cray was able to inflate his avalanche airbag, which allowed him to float above that snow. He survived pretty much uninjured and then continued boarding down the hill. As you do, full of adrenaline when you survive. So. And a police dash cam in Virginia captured the embarrassing end to a police chase for a man suspected of drunk driving. Yeah, you'll see the driver pulls over and decides to make a run for it. Unfortunately, he forgets to put the car in park. Oh, no. And it runs over him. <laughs> he was okay, but the fall slowed him down just enough to make for an easy arrest for police. The guy's facing several charges. That's the only time someone can run over themselves. Yep, yeah, absolutely. Bad. <laughs> Bad idea. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Were his pants falling down, too? Or was that it looked, just my imagination? It looked like they were a little baggy. <laughs> I don't know. And now the whole world has seen him. Run over himself. Embarrassing. Pick another line of work, buddy. <laughs> but he's okay. Yeah. He's not going to make the Darwin Awards. You. Ever read the Darwin Awards? Yeah. He, no. Yes. About people who, who unfortunately kill themselves in bizarro and stupid ways. Well, if he had died, he would have made it for sure. Mm-hmm. You get it? Is, is it okay? It's good, yeah. <laughs> Thank takes, you very much. It takes three of us to keep squatting. takes a village Looking to good. dress me. <laughs> you look pretty good now. Thanks. I appreciate That's that. Solid. Okay. Um, so, life without Brock Besser begins tonight for the Vancouver Canucks when they host Arizona. What's up? We're color coordinated. Oh, I just... That's good. I just okay. That. Uh, the biggest difference you might see will be the uh, Canucks power play, which has actually been very good this year. But Besser was in on half the power play goals the Canucks have scored, so we'll see how they do without him. Reed Boucher, he'll get in the lineup. Jacob Markson will start in goal. Oh, here's a stat. He didn't score against the Islanders, but in his last nine games, Daniel Sedin has eight goals. 21 this year, and that 21 is the second most he has scored in his last six seasons. I think they're coming back. Johnny Gaudreau. Look at that. Mark Jankowski scores. Yeah, Johnny Hockey has had a very good season. Flames need to get on a roll to get into a playoff spot. They need to do it fast. Here's Gaudreau to Sean Monaghan. 5-0 Calgary over Buffalo. They are in the third period. We'll be practicing and doing some appearances this week leading up to the games themselves, which start Saturday. But this morning, all of them were in, well, not all of them, but the representatives of each team were in North Vancouver. These are all the captains of the 16 teams in this weekend's Rugby Sevens tournament. They all had to endure a fear of heights and the not-so-warm morning air as part of a publicity photo shoot. 
But when all is said and done this week, will Canada still be in the picture for the trophy? This team that you have could easily win the whole thing, right? Quite easily, yeah. And more often than not, um, if you you get off to a good start and a little bit of consistency, before Christmas um, in Cape Town, we we, we were two points from from getting to the final and South Africa, the world champions, beat us by two points in in the bronze medal game. That's the level that we can play to. Our issue is is having that consistency and that's what that's what the top five or six teams have. They're, they're consistent. Well, the BC Lions have had to drop lineman Euclid Cummings because they and the CFL's head office found out after signing him that he is facing criminal charges. I'm not sure why they didn't know this before, but the Lions say if they had known before, they wouldn't have offered him a contract at all. Bottom line, he's no longer a BC Lion. He was signed to a free agent contract in February. Last year, he played for the Eskimos. And the NFL's Bennett brothers had a rather eventful day. Martellus Bennett was cut by the New England Patriots, and his brother Michael was traded by the Seattle Seahawks to Philadelphia for a fifth-round draft choice and receiver Marcus Johnson, who was very fast but didn't play much last year because he was a rookie. The uh, trading of Bennett, along with the likelihood of Chancellor and Averill not coming back, pretty much sends a legion of boom into the history books. It means the Seahawks will need to upgrade their defensive line as well as their offensive line this year. Bennett is 33. He is fading a bit, but he does make the Eagles defense that already can pressure quarterbacks even better as they try to defend their Super Bowl championship. As you heard, the Bennett trade brought back a fifth-round draft pick. It was a fifth-rounder that the Seahawks used in 2011 to get Richard Sherman. He said today he doesn't know if the Hawks want to keep him around for next season either. Maybe they'll trade him, but he's going in on Monday with uh, John Snyder and Pete Carroll to figure things out. All right. Champions League action. Juventus, Tottenham. This is the game to decide who continues on in Champions League. Oh! It's Sung Young Min. one nothing for Tottenham. Could they hold? Well, Gonzalo Higuain will tie it. 1-1. And then three minutes later, the coup de grace for Juventus. Let's listen. It's a British soccer announcer. Who doesn't love that? Yep, and Juventus moves on. Speaking of moving on, boys, 4A basketball at Langley. Mm-hmm. Uh, winners today so far, Holy Cross, Walnut Grove, Semiamu, Belmont, and Van College. There you go. All right. Thanks, Squire. You're welcome. Here's today's snow report. There is more snow on the way for the mountains overnight and on Thursday. Looking at the bases, 306 centimeters Whistler Blackcomb Grouse 440, 425 Cypress, 402 Sasquatch. Revelstoke, a base of 265 centimeters, 220 Manning Park, 285 Powder King, and Mount Washington, 238. Big White, a base of 325 centimeters, Silver Star, 268, Sun Peaks, 232, and Apex, 295. They are literally all around us. But have you ever heard of a salal berry? Our director hasn't. A lot of people haven't. <laughs> that's if not. You that's might want to look into it, though. <laughs> the wild berry grows all around BC, including the studio, apparently. And a new study suggests it might be the latest superfood. Kylie Stanton has the details. Yeah, so these are the salal bushes. These leaves are a little bit small, but you get the idea of a shape. The plant is so common here, it's basically a weed. 
But once these buds start to bloom, they produce what could be the healthiest berry on the planet. So they're about the same shape as a blueberry, but smaller perhaps. Peter Constable, a biologist with the University of Victoria, decided to start researching the berries after tasting a bottle of dessert wine containing salal extract. He was aware of the plant, a traditional food of West Coast First Nations, but had no idea just how powerful it was. What we can measure, there are four to five times higher concentrations of tannins in salal compared to blueberry, and about three times more antioxidant capacity. Those two compounds are correlated with a reduced risk of strokes and heart attacks, as well as neurodegenerative and metabolic diseases, things like type 2 diabetes. But until now, there's only been demand for the leaves, most commonly harvested and used by the floral industry. Grapeseed extract. That could soon change. I don't think anybody's looking at the berries. It may be actually of more value to cultivate them for the berries. And because they're currently organic and wild, they're considered far superior in nutrition and energy benefits than domesticated foods, and far more lucrative. People in a health food store will pay a lot of money for an organic berry. It may be a whole new growth industry. After five years of research, Constable's paper is being published this month, but there is one catch. You know, to be honest, they're not quite as tasty as blueberries. They're a little bit drier and more leathery, perhaps a bit like a cross between a black currant and a, and a blueberry. It will be summer before the berries are in bloom. You can eat them here. And then we can find out for ourselves. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria.